It's important for us to remember how the devil operates. He will seek to twist scripture and to cause men and women to think that it means something that it never did. And you know the Apostle Paul was one who gave warning about that to the believers in the, in the church at Corinth. If you just listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, it's the last verse of that text, of that chapter. It says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. And the word there, and really the picture there, it brings, us, it brings the people into the marketplace. And I suppose there's not so many marketplaces now in our towns as there used to be not too long ago, but certainly in the times of the Lord and even in these eastern countries yet, you will always have the marketplace and that's where you get your produce and all of the rest. But in the marketplace, the sellers would come with the wine. But what they would do would be that they would corrupt it, if I can use the word that's in that text. And what, they, what that means is they would water it down so as to get more for their money. But they, they lessened the, the quality of what they were selling. And Paul here, he, he uses the sellers in the marketplace to say what we're not. We're not like others, he says, not like many who water down the word of God, who corrupt the word of God in order to get gain. So they were to beware of those who sought to adulterate the word. Because that's what the devil is about. How much so were the Beatitudes are concerned. People are duped into thinking that these are nothing more than some lovely sayings. And of course you will, you will come across that. And maybe those who uh, have a, some sort of semblance with, with some church. But nothing much deeper than that. And then maybe quote to you the Beatitudes. But the Beatitudes, in fact, is what we're beginning to see, and I trust have seen already. They're the very essence of the gospel. And they're the evidence of salvation in the life. And the same can be said about the next one that we're going to look at in the words of verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The Lord is certainly not telling people that if they exercise mercy... And if they do their best, then God will save them. That's how the devil will twist scripture like that. God has already mapped out the way to heaven. And a consideration of the order of the verses will bring that before us. We started there in the words of verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn. Well, it's a mourning over sin. And then coming on from that, there's a humbleness, there's a meekness. Recognizing I am the sinner. Coming on again, there's a hungering after and thirsting after righteousness. It's not a physical hunger or thirst. It's that hungering uh, that the soul might be right with God. And you could say that the first three Beatitudes are the work of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Until you get to the point of the next one, blessed are are the uh, which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And there, you you can say in the words of verse 6, Christ is the very centre of, Righteousness is the very centre of the text. And that's where a man or woman filled with Christ and his righteousness is at the point of conversion. So the first two, are, I, I miss one out actually, poor in spirit, verse 3. 
And there's a poverty of spirit there. So the first three lead up until the fourth one where you hunger and thirst after righteousness. There's conversion. But the next one immediately after that is the verse we're looking at tonight. And uh, we can say here's the first fruits of that converted life. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. There is and there must be the difference and the change. And this is one of them, mercy. When I show mercy or when the child of God shows mercy, you remember that you are practicing one of the attributes of God himself. Because he is merciful. Let's look then at this merciful defined. You don't need to turn to it, but Romans chapter 1 and verse 31 indicates to us we know by nature man is unmerciful. And so here's something that is wrought by God in the heart, is wrought in the life of the convert. Every believer must therefore know something of what is mercy. You remember that while God in his grace gives me what I do not deserve, in his mercy he does not give me what I deserve. There's the difference between grace and mercy. To define it, it's more than just a kindness, but rather it's a tenderness of heart. A tenderness which is moved at the wretched condition of those around us. And we seek to do all that we can to bring them out of such misery. And so conversely, the soul who is not merciful, the soul who is self-centered, may be even vindictive and revengeful. They're not of God. They're full of themselves and of their own comforts and they care not for those around them, nor for their condition or feelings or destiny of them. If you want a, a very quick example, and I'll be turning to some verses tonight, but you look at John chapter 12. <coughs> John chapter 12 is a, is a wonderful passage just after that passage where Lazarus was raised from the dead. But I bring you to these verses because here you have a picture of Judas. Or not just a picture of him, you have him here, but you have a picture of, Judas, of someone who is without mercy in Judas. It says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Beautiful picture. Christ is there. There's a supper. Who else is there? Well, Martha's there. She's not complaining now. She's learned the lesson. But Lazarus is there. Is that not a picture of what will be in heaven? Christ comes back, you see, the dead in Christ shall rise first. But there will be those that will remain and will all join together with Christ. I think it's a lovely prophetic picture there. Verse 3. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odour of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Scarlet, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? It's nearly a year's wage. That's how costly it was. This he said, just in case you get the wrong idea, the Holy Ghost gives it to us. This he said, not that he cared for the poor. 
but because he was a thief. They had a bag and bare what was put therein. So he was dipping his hand into the treasury. And the Holy Ghost gives the record, there's an unmerciful man. He didn't care about the, the poor. That's what he used, of course, as an example, a reason. He cared for his own pocket to be filled. The soul who cares nothing and does nothing and shows no mercy will not have mercy from God, but rather judgment. James chapter 2, verse 13 says this, For he shall have judgment without mercy, that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. He shall have judgment without mercy. Men and women, there was judgment at Calvary, but it wasn't without mercy. Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Mercy and truth met together. Righteousness and peace met together at Calvary. Mercy of God, the judgment of God upon Christ. It is by the mercy of God that any one of us have been saved. Titus chapter 3, words of verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing the Holy Ghost. And how important that is can be seen as an essential mark of the believer. Being merciful is a natural result of receiving Christ, of experiencing the grace of God in salvation. If we have not experienced the mercy of God on earth, then we will not receive his mercy when it comes to that great day of the judgment of God when we shall all stand before him. And so with that in mind, there's no problem in what the Savior is teaching. Even in this verse, we do not receive mercy only because if we're merciful of ourselves. That's impossible with sinful and fallen man. The same is true with forgiveness. A lot of talk about forgiveness. You look at Matthew 6, just turn over the chapter, verse 15. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That doesn't mean that we merit forgiveness by forgiving others. You know, there's a tragedy, and we've seen it throughout the troubles of this this country. And maybe one of the first questions, or some of the questions the interviewer asked, do you forgive them? Man, I'm sick hearing that. There's no forgiveness until they seek forgiveness. Forget that. We're not forgiven until we seek God's forgiveness. And that's, I want you to understand the teaching of Matthew 6 and 15. It it doesn't mean that you merit forgiveness by forgiving others, but rather the teaching is that unless we forgive others, there's no evidence that we ourselves have been forgiven. The same as the Apostle Paul brings out Teaching to the believers in, in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. He says, And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ for, uh, God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. There's the basis. We're first forgiven of God. And with the example of mercy, a man cannot be merciful. If he owes a great sum of money and yet he's not prepared to forgive the person who owes him a few pence. Isn't that what the parable is teaching (coughs) in Matthew chapter 18? 
And in verse 21, the Lord taught this parable. Peter came to him, you see, and says, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times, Lord said, I say not unto these, until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. Man, to summarize the parable, it's an incalculable number in debt there. It's a great amount. And he fell down and he asked his master to have patience with him and he would pay it back. He meets his friend down the street that owed him a few pence. That man did the same. Have patience with me. But no, he wouldn't do it. He threw him in prison. And of course, the master heard of it. The king heard of it. Verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, and they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done, then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgive thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Do you see the word compassion in verse 33? It's the same word as mercy in, in our chapter tonight. The man didn't show compassion. It wasn't merciful onto the guy that owed him a few pence. That's what mercy is. It's the love. It's a concern for the state of others around. Someone stated the difference between mercy and kindness. Kindness is a friend calling with you when you're well. Mercy is a friend calling with you when you're sick. Has God shown mercy to us? And we ought to show mercy to others in need of God's salvation. Of course he has. We stand tonight in Christ. We're clothed in his righteousness. He's shown mercy to us. He hasn't given us what we deserved. There's something of how we can define it. What about it demonstrated? Well, one of the greatest illustrations of mercy is found in the parable of the Great Samaritan. Good Samaritan. The question is asked, you'll find it in in Luke chapter 10. And the question is asked in the words of verse 37. Came to pass that on the next day when they were come down. No, that's chapter 9. Put the glasses on earlier. And he said, verse 37, chapter 10, He that showed mercy on him. The question you see in the previous verse was, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. That is seen when we give a closer attention to the actual Samaritan himself, to what happened. He demonstrates mercy in that he was to relieve the consequences of sin in the life of the one who had fallen. He took responsibility for that man by the wayside. That man who was injured, half dead. He was to minister to his every need. He was to provide everything for his recovery and for his restoration and healing. The way in which he dealt with that man was not to chase the robbers. 
It was not retribution at that point, but it was true compassion, it was mercy. Neither was it he to raise a protest about how society had failed that man by the wayside. That wasn't the remedy for the man in question. And yet that is how many are prone to act today and point the finger of blame. But the Samaritan was to act in a manner which sought to bring relief. And getting down on his knees, seeking to help, seeking to heal someone whose life was wrecked with sin and pain. That's mercy. And men and women, when you read <coughs> Luke chapter 10 of the Good Samaritan, again, just don't think it's a lovely passage. Because therein is Christ. He is that Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan typifies the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest example, of course, is seen in Christ at Calvary. There's a coming the time of retribution against the devil and sin. But Christ was to meet us at the point of our need. And by his mercy we were lifted up from the wayside. And we weren't half dead, we were fully dead in sin. And every provision was met in Christ and a sacrifice on the cross for our healing, for our recovery instead of judgment that we deserved. There's one we're reminded by in, in Isaiah who does not break the bruised reed nor does he quench the smoking flax. I wonder are we being like Christ where others are concerned to those broken and bruised by sin. Those robbed of the devil. Or do we seek to pass by on the other side? Are we that burden for souls? To pray for them. That's why we're here tonight. Yeah, to pray for ourselves. <coughs> pray for our congregation. But to pray for those who can't pray for themselves. The good Samaritan did not hide behind some feeble excuses in order to prevent himself from costly service. That demonstrates mercy. The priest and the Levite passed by on the other side for their reasons. They displayed a failure to help the man. They refused to pay the cost that was needed. But there was one who was prepared to be inconvenienced. There was one who was prepared to pay the cost, whatever it would take, and that one was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He fulfilled what the law and the Levite could not do. And that cost was the highest price, even the giving of his own precious life's blood. The greatest demonstration of mercy is the Saviour himself. I was that fallen poor sinner. Yet he came to where I was. And bestowed his rich blessings upon me. I was naked because of my sin. Yet he hath clothed me with the garment of his righteousness. I was that one who was hungry and without shelter. Yet he has fed me with all good things. He has brought me into the banqueting house and his banner over me is love. I was poor, miserable, wretched. And so is the testimony of every one of his people. 
Yet the words of Ephesians 2 and verse 4 and 5 teach us what God has done for us. <coughs> but God. First three verses tell us what we were in our sin. But God. You ever going from Bambridge to Lurgan, you'll see a wee mission hall on the left hand side. The text just at the side of the road is that, but God. Brilliant. Just two words. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. You're just where that old fallen creature was by the wayside. And the Levite passed by. And the other boy as well couldn't help us, you see. The law could not save us. But Christ came. Met us at the point of our need. And bestowed every blessing upon us. Purchased our recovery from Adam's fall. Through his own precious blood. Mercy demonstrated. Mercy received. <clears throat> the law of the harvest is seen in our text. Whatever whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. The Lord says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The same law applies to the believer. The church that prays little, weeps little, works little, shows little mercy, puts little effort into the work for God will be blessed very little. But the soul has been saved. The church that shows the mercy of God toward others, God has promised shall receive mercy. And you know there are many different types of mercy that God shows. You just maybe follow me, I'll give you some of them. Matthew chapter 6 verse 14. They're sparing mercy. For if you forgive men their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 17. They're supplying mercy. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. That which he hath given will he pay him again. Psalm 41, there's sustaining mercy. Verse 1 and 2. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he shall be blessed upon the earth, and thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. There's mercy for that great day. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus. Thou knowest very well. And last one, Matthew 25. The merciful shall inherit the kingdom. Prepared for them. Verse 34. Then, said the king on, then shall the king say unto them in his right hand. Come ye blessed of my Father, and heard the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, 
you took me in naked and you clothed me I was sick and you visited me I was in prison and you came on to me showing mercy is a hallmark men and women of the true believer for without mercy and we are none of Christ and on that day he shall say to those that are not his I never knew you dear child of God that is what God desires for our lives which have been saved by his wondrous grace and by the great love wherewith he has loved us and showing mercy we become like Christ for you know whenever he saw the multitudes he had great compassion on them and encountered them as sheep having no shepherd and the Lord desires mercy to be shown in our lives something that's taught also in the Old Testament with this I close Hosea chapter 6 Verse 6 says this, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You have that great verse then just in Micah 6 and verse 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. What doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. May God enable us to show mercy, to treat others the way that God has treated us for Christ's sake, to walk well with him. You treat others well by first praying for them, praying that God might lead you to that soul that we word with, to demonstrate Christ in your life before them. It begins in prayer. The Lord might lay in your heart those whom you can witness to. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts tonight.